0: So today we're we're continuing our series called What a Beautiful Name. We're looking at the name of Jesus and how we as followers of Jesus are called to live in the power and authority of Jesus in the world that we live in today. Right? As followers of Jesus, we do what Jesus did. We teach what Jesus taught. We love who Jesus loved. And a lot of times we as modern day Christians, we can get distracted We can get distracted by church tradition, we can get distracted by preference, we can get distracted by different things that we like, and forget that ultimately as followers of Jesus, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. So what Jesus did, we have to learn how to do it. What Jesus taught, we have to learn how to teach it. And who Jesus loved, we have to learn how to love them. Because it's not in our nature in our sinfulness to do so. So as we kick today's topic off, I just want to start off, I just want to ask a quick question. Um, how many of you like scary movies? If you, don't be embarrassed. If you like scary, I'm not going to pick on you. If you like scary movies, I'm, you, know, if you like a good horror story, you like a good ghost story. There's some hands going up. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I've gotten to this point in my life, I can't watch this stuff anymore. Uh, when I was a younger guy, I would watch all the horror movies, all the sci-fi, all the monster movies, all the demon movies, all this stuff. Love this stuff. Like I remember back in the 70s and 80s, there were like great movies. I love one of my favorite movies, you know, when I was a kid was The Omen. Okay, I know what's wrong with this kid. I had no parental supervision. That's what was wrong with me. You know, it's like <laughs> and I'm watching this stuff, and that movie just scared the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> You know, the whole idea that the devil is walking among us and all these crows are coming after, you know, people who follow Jesus and all of this stuff like that. And it was like, oh my goodness, you know, it's so cool. (laughs) Today now I watch this stuff and there's something about these movies that I, I can't even watch them. It keeps me up at night. It gives me nightmares. It just terrifies me. But it seems like as I go to the movies, there's more and more and more and more and more kind of movies about kind of the spiritual world. And these monsters and these demons and these spirits and all of these kind of things. And so our culture is really fascinated on the topic of the spiritual. And it seems like we've become a little obsessed on the darkness, the dark side of spirituality. All these monsters and all of these things like that. So today as we continue our series going through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to go where the text goes today. And I'm going to fully admit to you, that I am going to go through this text, and and we're going to pull this text apart, and this text is way, way, way out of my comfort zone. And these are the kind of texts where sometimes, because they're so out of our comfort zone, it would be easy to just, well, let's just skip it. And let's just focus on the verses that we are comfortable with. Let's just focus on the parts of the Bible that we do like and that we don't wrestle with. But today we're going to go through this topic of darkness and look at the fact that you and I live in a world where the spirit of darkness is at work, where demons and the devil are at work in people's lives. And and just kind of to set this up, before we jump into the text, we have to understand that I've come to believe that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was to convince people he doesn't exist. But the greatest thing that the devil has done in our day and age is to convince this sinful fallen world that he doesn't exist. And that the world is good. And people are good. And sure, there's some bad stuff that happens, but eh, we can ignore that because everything is awesome. And everything is good. But the New Testament doesn't allow us to go there. Like the the teachings of the apostles clearly show that we are in a spiritual battle. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The church isn't against a group of people. It's not against a certain political party. We don't pick these enemies. We don't see these people as the bad guys. We understand that there is a spiritual battle happening. And the church was never meant to be a playground. The church was never meant to be a social club. The church was never meant to be a country club. The church is basically a garrison training us for battle. You and I are in a war, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. And so let's look at the teachings of Jesus. Again, we want to do what Jesus did. We want to teach what Jesus taught. We want to love how Jesus loved. So let's look at what this topic today in Mark chapter 1 so that you and I can actually follow Jesus into the battle that he calls us to. Let's read from Mark's gospel here, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. It says, So then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Got a regular part of Jesus's ministry, finding a synagogue on Sabbath, teaching the word of God to people. We're very comfortable with that part. Right? And the people were amazed at his teaching. We're okay with that part. Hey, Jesus is a pretty good Bible teacher. He takes the Old Testament, he makes it applicable to our lives, and, you know, comes up with a good big idea, a good three-point sermon. You know, Jesus was a three-point sermon preacher, that's why we do it as well. Right? People love his teaching. Right? But there's something about his teaching. It continues in verse 22, because he taught them as one who had authority. Not as the teachers of the law. There's something about the teachings of this rabbi of this carpenter, of this guy from Nazareth. There's something about his teaching that comes with an authority that the people haven't seen before. And it's not because they haven't had good teachers. It's not because they haven't had good rabbis. <laughs> but there's something about his teaching that has authority. right? And then it says, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Love that on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And that person jumps up. I know who you are. Jesus responds, verse 25 says, be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. What is this? That is a great statement coming from this crowd. Again, they're already marveled by the teaching. They already see Jesus in the synagogue, grabbing the scroll, unpacking it, teaching the word of God to them. And they're already amazed by that. And this man jumps up, starts accusing Jesus of being the Holy One of God. Are you here to destroy us? Jesus says, be quiet, come out. The man starts shaking violently, and then he's fine afterwards. is going on here. This is different. This is a whole new level of authority. You see, in Jesus's time now, Judaism had become what is known as the religion of the book. You see, for 400 years before Jesus, God was silent That period, kind of that that little blank page between your New Testament and Old Testament, is 400 years of the silence of God. No prophets. No words from God. No miracles. God's quiet. And so the people focused on God's authority and God's teaching through the book. They became experts in the law. They became experts in their religious tradition. And so Judaism in the day of Jesus had become known as the religion of the book. The authority was in the book. The authority was in the tradition of how they've done stuff. And now Jesus shows up was a new authority, something that no one has seen before, the authority over the forces of darkness. That even these demons obey him and listen to him. Like This is a level of authority that they've not seen before because there were other people in Jesus' day and before Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. There would have been other good teachers There were even other people who were capable of healing the sick. They've seen that stuff in these false messiahs. They've seen good teaching and they've seen the healing of the sick. But what they've not seen before is power over the forces of darkness. What is this? And Mark gospel. What I love about Mark's gospel is he is very intentional in separating the difference of Jesus's ministry, that Jesus physically healed the sick and Jesus dealt with the forces of darkness. He separates them, right? We can see that in uh, Mark chapter one, verse 32, where Mark is very specific Says that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. It's very intentional in Mark's gospel to separate these two. There's the physically sick and the demon-possessed. Kind of when we talk about these spiritual things, how many of you your shoulders are starting to go up a little bit, right? Because it's uncomfortable. Because we use language like, well, these spiritual things, well, that's just kind of these inner demons. It's kind of like sin in their life. And if people would just deal with their inner sin, then they would kind of be able to be physically healed. But Mark doesn't go there. People brought the physically sick and the demon possessed. And Jesus makes a distinction between those two. How he deals with one is not the same as how he deals with the other. He separates them. They're different. <laughs> and so when we look at it that way, when we look at it through that lens, we can't just look at the, as the demon possessed as just a, a form of sickness. <laughs> that there is something different going on here. Right? And so what does the Bible teach us about demons? What does the Bible teach us about these forces of darkness? Well, the reality is, um, not much. It doesn't teach us a lot, and I think that's the danger of it. Because it doesn't teach us a lot about it, people have a tendency of going in many different directions on this topic. But the two kind of chapters that are the the, the key chapters on the teachings of the devil and the demons can be found. One chapter in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 14. Encourage you to write this down. I'm not going to read through Isaiah 14, but I encourage you to write down. Have a look at it this week. Isaiah 14 is one of those prophecies that that are dual in nature, kind of like the prophecy when that when we talk about Jesus that he will be born of a virgin, right? That's a dual prophecy because in that context when it was originally written, some guy was speaking about that virgin over there, and by the time she gives birth to a child, this event's going to happen. So it's Satisfied one prophecy, but it also points to a future prophecy. Isaiah 14 is the same. It's talking about the king of Babylon and the fall of the king of Babylon because of his pride and his arrogance. But Isaiah, through this prophecy, is also revealing the story of Lucifer. Is also revealing the story of one who was created to serve the Lord Most High. And Lucifer's role was to reflect worship onto God. In Isaiah chapter 14, we see that the devil, Lucifer, makes five times, he declares, I will. I will be greater than him. I will make myself like the Lord Most High. The one created to worship demands to be worshipped. The other chapter we find in the New Testament, it's in Revelation chapter 12. And we read about kind of war breaking out in the heavenly realms. And we read about the ancient serpent. This ancient serpent is the same serpent that we read about way back at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we read about this ancient serpent making war with his angels against the Lord Most High. And that these demons, these angels who were following this ancient serpent are cast out. And it's believed that, and theologians kind of break this down, they say about a third of the angels become demons. So when you think of the spiritual forces, you can think of it like you have God and his angels. And the purpose of the angels are to bring glory to God. They work in the world to bring glory to God. And the flip side of that is the devil and his fallen angels, his demons, and their work is to deny glory to God. To ensure no glory goes to the Lord. So these are the two chapters where we see this, and the ministry of Jesus directly engages with that battle. Humanity is right smack in the middle of this battle, of either we're going to live lives that bring glory to God, or we're going to live lives that don't. Those are the only options that humanity has. We will either, you and I, will either live lives that bring glory to God, or we'll live lives that don't. And that's this battle, that's the, this battle that Jesus is directly dealing with during his earthly ministry, dealing with the forces of darkness. And we see that Jesus overcomes the forces of darkness. Just like last week, we saw how Jesus overcomes temptation. Jesus overcomes the darkness. So when we look at scripture, when we look at our lives, what are some of the big mistakes that we make as followers of Jesus in our world today when it comes to this topic of darkness. <laughs> Again, not my comfort zone, um, not what I love kind of going through, but it's where the text brings us. So what are some of the big mistakes that we do? I think mistake number one that that we do is we completely ignore the idea of demons. We completely ignore the idea of demons. <laughs> right? Have you ever heard the phrase, um, what's gotten into him? <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? You ever said that? What's gotten into you? <laughs> okay. You know where that phrase comes from? This story. When someone does something absolutely way out of character, when we know this person, this, this you know this lady, she's nice and sweet and gentle and volunteers and she's so sweet, and then one day just kind of goes, ah! so "What's gotten into her?" Right? That expression comes from this idea that that's not who you are. There is something in you, right? And so. And because this topic of demons and and the spiritual realms and, and forces of darkness, because it's so exotic and it's so bizarre, it's so outside of our normal life, it's so outside of our normal experience that we don't know how to discuss it, so we ignore it. In my seminary education, I received no teaching on dealing with the forces of darkness. None except for one course. It was the most boring, painful course I attended. The professors were there. It was, an, it was a, I think it was a prison epistles course. This guy went verse by verse through Paul's writings that he wrote from prison, and he read like this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Oh, Andrew, so he was a fisherman and he kind of was there and his father was this person and, and he'd give like these running commentaries. It was, it, and it was one of those five day intensive eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night classes by Wednesday. I'm like, kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me. And, and this is what he's teaching every day, every day. And then on Thursday, he's going through one of the writings and he's with that same monotone, boring voice. And he goes, that reminds me of this time when this lady from our church called me and we got to the house and her teenage son, uh, in a violent fit of rage was, was spitting blood and had punched holes in the wall, in the drywall, and was hanging from the ceiling, calling out obscenities to God. What? <laughs> Suddenly I woke up. It was like, excuse me, what are you talking about? And this guy in his 80s starts talking about how there was a teenage boy hanging from the ceiling, spitting blood at his parents, c- cursing the name of Christ. And they prayed for him, and they said, get out. And the boy was fine. And then he moved back on to, and then they went to Capernaum, and then the (laughs) Sabbath came, and Jesus went to the synagogue. And I was like, and that was it. (laughs) That's, That's my experience with this topic. It was that one statement. So we tend to ignore it. It's too bizarre. It's too weird. And it really doesn't have anything to do with my life. I've got bills to pay. I've got kids to deal with. I've got a job and school and the stresses of life, so I'm just going to ignore it. Or what we do is we read these stories now through our modern-day kind of scientific influence, right? We read Scripture with a modern-day audience lens. And so since demons don't really show up on the scientific radar because they're not natural, they're supernatural, science doesn't really deal well with the supernatural— So because they're not there, we just look at these stories as primitive misdiagnosis. Well, this guy in Mark chapter 1, did he really have an impure spirit? Maybe he just had Tourette's. Just Tourette's syndrome. Couldn't control himself. If they would have had the proper medication, he would have been fine. Right? And so we can do that, but we don't see the ministry of Jesus saying it's the same thing. He's not treating these people the same way he's treating the sick. Mark separates them. Jesus deals with them differently. So we can't change the text to our comfort. we got to go where the text goes. And so the first mistake that we make is we completely ignore the topic. But the other mistake that I think we make as Christians is we overemphasize the influence of demons. There are some people who just see the devil in everything. Like they see the devil, and like when they open up their peanut butter in the morning and the oil has separated. It's like, oh my god, the devil has ruined my peanut butter. Or they open up a loaf of bread and there's some blue mold. The devil's trying to kill me. It's like the, the devil's just everywhere in everything. I just untied, my shoelace came untied. I almost tripped on it. The devil's trying to make me fall down. You know, it's like the devil's everywhere. The devil's in everything. And, and they overemphasize. Well, the devil made me do it. The reason I don't have any money to pay my bills is because of the devil. Well, maybe because you blew all your money on a whole bunch of new clothes and five new pairs of shoes and ten new purses and you went on a trip you couldn't afford. Maybe that wasn't the devil. Well, it's the devil that's making me look at pornography. Well, maybe it's just your flesh. Maybe it's your lust. Well, the devil made me. The devil made me. So we have a tendency of, Overemphasizing, so we gotta be mindful of that that could be a mistake because not every problem In the world is caused by demons We live in a fallen broken world I sin you sin sometimes our problems are because of our sin Sometimes our problems are because of the sin of someone else against us Sometimes our problems are just because of the world system that we live in and it's just this fallen nature not every problem Is a demon problem? But then the flip side is also true. Sometimes we underemphasize the influence of demons. Right again, not every problem is a demon problem, but a lot of problems could be. I don't want to say they are, but they could be. You know? Yeah, maybe your lust for money and you're continually buying stuff that you can't afford is an oppression. And there's a spiritual force at work in your life. It's possible. Maybe your lust and your inability or your undesire to even be freed from, from pornography, that you're fine with living with it, men and women. Maybe that's a spiritual thing. Maybe it is demonic. Don't want to say it isn't, but we don't always want to say it is because it could be. So we've got to be mindful we're not overemphasizing, but we've got to make sure that we're not underemphasizing. So what are the kind of problems that we could be experiencing in this fallen world? What did we see Jesus deal with in his day? Again, we want to do what Jesus did. So what do we see Jesus dealing with? Well, what do these demons do? We can see throughout the New Testament that one of the things that demons do is they tempt us to sin. <laughs> they tempt us to sin. We can read about that. Paul writes about it in 2 Timothy verse 2, verse 26. right? And then they will come and they... Sorry and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do their will. These spiritual forces are at work in the world, again, to remove glory from God. And a way that our lives remove glory from God is when we stumble into darkness and into sin. It's that little voice in your head that goes, you deserve this. That little voice in your head that goes, who cares what they think? That little voice that that says, this isn't going to hurt anybody. That little voice that says, enjoy it. (laughs) That moves us away from a living a life that brings glory to God. That temptation to sin can come from the forces of darkness. That's what Paul talks about. It's trying to take us Captive is trying to bring us down a path that brings us further away from living a life that glorifies God. The other way, the other kind of problems that demons uh, dish out is that, well, a demon will distract you from God's will. Right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by God. Demons. This is one of those verses that I like to pull out when people say every religion is the same. You don't need Jesus as long as your faith is sincere and as long as your faith is helping you to be a better person. Remember, there's only two options for all of humanity living a life that brings glory to God or not. That's the option. There's no third option. And when I talk to people who say every religion is the same, I go, well, my Bible teaches that anything that comes from taking away glory from God through Jesus Christ is teaching that has come from deceiving spirits and taught by demons Guess how popular I am at parties <laughs> when I bring that up. It's not the same. It's not the same. It might look good, but this teaching is to take us away from the glory of God through Christ. All paths don't lead to God. <laughs> And so many people in our culture today, we have this mix and mash of spirituality. Oh, a little bit of Buddhism here, a little bit of Christianity here, a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of Baha'i, a little bit of everything in between. (laughs) Cover all my bases. (laughs) A little bit of witchcraft. (laughs) A little Ouija board. I was, a, I was at a wedding about 15 years ago. I was a brand new Christian at the time. And I was pulling out these verses like crazy. Because like, this stuff was, again, way out of my wheelhouse. And I was like, this was a new world that I was looking at. And a buddy of mine, they were talking about Ouija boards and psychics and all this stuff like that. And like, oh, well, Kev, you're a Christian. You don't believe in that stuff, do you? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, yes, I do. Really? You go? Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? You don't know what you're talking to. You don't know who you're talking to. I was talking to a person once, and they said, well, Grandma comes and visits me all the time and comforts me. And it's like, okay, ask Grandma about Jesus. When Grandma, dead Grandma comes to visit you, say, hey, Grandma, tell me about Jesus. And the person did that, and Grandma left. And Grandma didn't come back anymore, and this person's mad at me. For scaring away grandma, because why would grandma want to hurt us? Well, because demons distract us from the will of God. Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. We live in a culture, "Eh, the Bible, you don't really need to be in the Bible. Eh, You don't really need to go to Church. Yeah, you don't really need to confess your sins. You don't really need to pray. You don't really need to serve. You don't really need to be generous. You don't really, oh yeah, your pastor tells you you should do this stuff. What does he know? He's just one of those crazy Christians. It could be a spiritual influence distracting us from God's will. Right? Not all faiths are the same. And then finally... We see it again and again and again, particularly in the ministry of Jesus, that demons inflict suffering. Right? The goal of Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? We see in Matthew chapter 17, you know, this man says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Right? He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into water. And Jesus said, bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy. And he was healed at that moment. It wasn't, I've got to deal with these inner things and then go to the physical healing. It was, there was something in him that was trying to kill him. Throwing him into fire. Trying to drown him. And Jesus says, get out of him. And he's totally fine afterwards. They inflict suffering And we live in a world today that has so much suffering, so much anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts. We have a generation of kids who are killing themselves out of loneliness, out of despair, out of living in a world that has no hope, or so they believe, (laughs) You can't tell me there isn't spiritual forces at work that are not intentionally trying to kill, steal, and destroy. This is the world we live in. The church is not a country club. It's not about potlucks, even though I like a good Baptist potluck. Is that we're in a battle for the souls of humanity. And if your soul has been saved by the works of Jesus, if you believe that Jesus paid for your sin and that you are made new because of the sacrifice of Jesus, if you believe that you couldn't please a holy God by living this religious life and that it's only Jesus that can save you from your sin, if you believe that and you've confessed that, You've been recruited into the battle. And sometimes I go, yeah, but i got to get my life sorted out, and i got to get my life cleaned up first. Too many Christians are spending 50 years getting their life cleaned up. If I would have waited to get my life cleaned up before getting into the battle, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. (laughs) Because my life will never be clean enough. There's always something I can work on. There's always another area I can improve in. If you're waiting for your life to be perfect before you engage into this battle, good luck. You'll wait a long time. But here's the big idea for today. Write this down. You have miraculous authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. That same power that we talked about last week that empowers you to overcome temptation is the same miraculous authority that you have over the forces of darkness in the name of Jesus. Look at, I'm just going to flip over to Mark chapter 3. Look at Mark chapter 3 here, what it says in verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. He called out to those that he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. There's the call of a disciple. (laughs) To preach the word of God, to tell people about the good news of Jesus, and to deal with the darkness in the world. (laughs) What does that look like? What does this power look like? What does this authority look like? I heard a great example of this recently. Think of it like this. If I were to stand on the highway and there's an 18-wheeler coming at me at 100 kilometers an hour, and I do this, do I have the power to make that truck stop? No. I am about to become roadkill. Okay, that truck will go, this this guy (laughs) sucks to be him and, you know, just kind of go right through me because he's got this big giant load and he's not going to risk it. I'm not worth the risk. What if I'm a police officer and I'm there full uniform with a car behind me with the lights flashing and I do the same position? Do I have the power to make that truck stop? Nope. I'm still roadkill, (laughs) but I have the authority to make that truck stop. (laughs) That truck is going to try real hard to stop when they see the red and blue flashing light and the guy in the uniform standing on the highway making him stop. That's not power. It's the same power. I have no power, but I've been given authority by a higher power. (laughs) That's the mission of the church. (laughs) We have no power. In our own strength, if you go out and try to deal with the darkness of this world in your own strength, you will become a pancake. There's a story in the Bible of people trying to do that. People kind of trying to deal with the demonic and they're all excited. Oh, this is so cool. This is such an exciting ministry. I'm going to deal with the demonic. And they go into this room and the demons go, well, we know who Jesus is. Who are you? And they just smoke them. Just beat them to a pulp. That's trying to overcome darkness in your own strength. But you have been given authority. The same authority that Jesus received from the Father, we have received as his church, as his children. Right? When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death and darkness. He defeated the forces of darkness. And when we believe in Jesus and we become that new creation that the Bible talks about, when we become born again, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead comes in us. And the Bible, you know, like, and we get confused where the Bible says, well, Jesus is the light of the world. But then Jesus looks at his followers and says, you are the light of the world. It's easy to say Jesus is the light of the world. The church, you, me. We are the light of the world. And everywhere that we go, we bring light. When we go into places of darkness, we bring light. Right? Sometimes we think of, you know, uh, the opposite of light is, is darkness. But the opposite of light is just the absence of light. Where light is, darkness cannot be. So when we're Dealing with our lives. You know, there's a physical component, and I'm a big believer in deal with the physical. If you've got cancer, go for chemo. But pray in the authority and power of Jesus for healing. That if there is anything demonic in there, that we're going to cast that out. If you're dealing with depression and anxiety like I do, take your meds. But I pray... That if there's something oppressing to deliver me from that. If you're struggling with finding work, send out a good resume. Every day, multiple resumes, and pray against, in the pray in the authority of Jesus, that there isn't something preventing you from being blessed. We have to figure this out. It's messy, it's uncomfortable, it's not in our wheelhouse, and we're just trying to get through the week. I'm just trying to deal with my regular life. I'm just trying to deal with everything that I've got to do. I've got to pay my bills. I've got to clean the house. I've got to do yard work. I'm really trying hard not to sell my teenagers on Kijiji. You know, like we're all just dealing with stuff, right? We're all just dealing with stuff. But you have been called into a battle. But there are people who are separated from God. And God loves them so much. That God loves them so much that he sent Jesus to die for them and sent you to reach them. He sent you to reach them. I can't reach your family members. I can't reach your colleagues. I can just equip you to reach them. I can just equip you to reach them. But you have been given authority over the realm of darkness. I heard, again, this preacher who shared the example about the police car thing. He said this. When you find yourself maybe in a place of darkness, just say this. I take authority over this darkness in the name of Jesus. I did that once. Again, I have two experiences with this. The one I shared with you about my teacher. The other experience was I went to one of those Halloween stores. You know, the big giant warehouses where there's all the Halloween stuff and they had these mannequins, these statues of dead babies and demonic babies. And I walked into that section of the store, and God is my witness, the heads turned and looked at me and said, Get out. And I went, Yeah, see ya. <laughs> I'm out. And then I went, No, you get out. And that feeling went away. <laughs> Now, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I'm not saying everyone run out and start telling everybody to get out. If you have a family member who's driving you crazy, don't look down to like, get out in Jesus' name. Don't do that this weekend. It's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but we got to be wise. We got to be discerning. But we have to trust in the power that Jesus has given us as His children. That you are light, and everywhere that you go, you bring light into this dark world. <laughs> And you don't have the power to deal with it, but you've been given the authority to deal with it in Jesus' name. You can overcome the darkness because of what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus is doing in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we um, praise you. um, We worship you in this place, and we are grateful that we can come here and lift up the name of Jesus, lift up the name that is above every other name, The name of Jesus, where every knee who will hear that name one day will bow before it. Whether as a servant or whether out of this beaten submission, every knee will bow in the presence of Jesus. Every tongue, every human who lives and has ever lived and will live will confess Jesus is Lord. And God, these texts, they're difficult. We look at them in our modern day world and we wrestle with what does this mean for us? How do we apply this? How How do we wrestle with the truth of your word? And God, a part of us would say, well, let's just ignore it. But we don't want to be that because it's in here. It's in your word and you have your word here to equip us and to help us be more like Jesus. So we don't want to ignore it. But we also don't want to go crazy with it either, Lord. We don't want to go over the top and, you know, and overuse this in a way that's actually harmful to people. But God, we don't want to underuse this either. So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here that you would give wisdom. The Bible says, ask for wisdom and wisdom will be given to you. I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that you would give us discernment. And above all things, I pray that you would give us the heart of Jesus. That even when he approached darkness, he dealt with it quickly and cleanly. And then he loved. Help us to love the way Jesus loved. To do what Jesus did. And to teach what Jesus taught in every aspect of our lives. Father, I pray for the person that might be here today or who's watching this online, who, um, this is This is new, this is crazy. This idea that Jesus even died for them might be something they've not heard before. Maybe they believe in God, they believe in some kind of spirituality, um, but they're living a life that's far from you. They might be living a life that's under this oppression. And today I ask in the authority of Jesus that you would set them free. Set them free from the forces of darkness at work in their lives. For the Christian who's given their life to you, but is dealing with darkness in their life, and the authority of Jesus set them free. It can't stay. Get out. Be gone. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, as we trust you more, as we follow you more, God, we pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine through your power at work in your church.